I thought I heard a whistle, and Finn must have thought so too, because his head cocked to the side, and he licked his lips like he knew something was about to happen. Did you hear that? I blurted out. No, Tyler said, shaking his head. Hear what, Odysseus? Xavier asked, his eyes scanning the empty street in front of him. I heard a whistle, then another whistle a few seconds later. Like, a response. You know, a signal. You think those things are communicating? Tyler asked dismissively. They probably don't even know how to button their pants anymore. Look out, I yelled. Zebra floated through the intersection as a silver SUV came barreling at us from the cross street as we passed through the intersection, missing our rear bumper by a few inches as it silently slipped past us and down the street. We didn't hear for crashing and anything since Zebra had jammed the gas pedal to the floor and brought the old mobile to 75. So between the sounds of the old V8 engine and the wind whipping into the car, we had to yell to be heard. That was an ambush, Tyler yelled, turning back to look at me. Somebody put that car in a neutral and tried to T-bone us back there. You think? Xavier asked sarcastically, his hands gripping and regripping the steering wheel nervously. Then, one by one, they appeared in the street, maybe three blocks away, blockading the intersection where Market Street spills onto Route 15. Turn left, and you head south, south toward Gettysburg. Turn right, and you'll soon be crossing another bridge and heading back into Harrisburg. The shots started to hit us like the first few dings of hail followed by the ear-splitting deluge of a hailstorm of bullets punching the hood and grill. Soon the windshield was splintering and exploding into jagged bits and pieces of glass. I slid down on the floorboard with Finn McCool, who lied across me so hard I had a tough time breathing. I couldn't see how Xavier and Tyler were going to make it, but I thought about how much the hood of the Oldsmobile resembled the long bow of a World War II battleship, and I imagined the thick engine block and everything else on the hood might just block the bullets. Just keep going straight, Tyler yelled. You have to go through them or we won't make it out of here. The firing slowed and then ceased altogether, and I couldn't help sneaking a peek. I had to elbow Finn twice to get him to move off me so I could peek over the seat to see Xavier's left hand on the bottom of the steering wheel, and impossibly, Tyler holding the rearview mirror just in front of me, but in reverse so Xavier could see the road without putting up his head. We had slowed to about 30 miles an hour, but I could see now we were nearing the intersection, no more than 60 feet away from a densely packed mob of the change. There was a whole mess of them right in front of us, Xavier. You better gun the engine, and we're not going to make it, I yelled. I can't run over all those people, he blurted. They're trying to kill us, I begged. The car engine roared, and I was thrown backward as we shot through the intersection to the sounds of heavy thumps and moans of those who landed up on the hood of the car, and one who rolled up the hood and over the roof. None fell under the wheels of the car, at least I didn't feel a jolt or thump from below the floorboard, so they must have cleared out as we came at speed. Then our tires were screeching as we... Took a hard left onto Route 15, heading south towards Gettysburg. You should have told me you're going to do that, man, Xavier said angrily. No time to, Tyler said, sitting up and turning back to look out of what was left of the rear windows. We had to get through them. Besides, this way I take some of the blame. What's that supposed to mean, Xavier asked, not hiding his irritation. It means you steered and I did the gas right through the intersection, Tyler yelled. It was quiet for a bit, so I said, I don't think we actually ran over any of them anyway. Like I said, they were trying to kill us. It's not like they're acting like human beings anymore. We had to get out while we could, and they ambushed us. All right, all right, Xavier said. Thing is, we have another problem. Oh, um, what is that exactly? Tyler asked. We're almost out of gas. We need to find a place to sleep tonight before that happens, Xavier said. I once spent two weeks on a farm in Minnesota, my cousin's house, I said. He had all kinds of stuff. He had this huge tractor with a giant thing. It pulled it. And, uh, that's real great and all, but get to the point, Yuli, Xavier said. Like I was saying, they had all kinds of great stuff, including their own gas tank they had to pump by hand. 
He had to get the pressure up so he could push it up through the hose and then the gas tank on the tractor without electricity. So he said drive to your cousin's house in Minnesota? Tyler asked straight-faced. No, smartass, I said. We should drive to a farm and get some gas before we run out. Only one problem, Chief, Tyler said. Big farm tractors are diesel and this thing isn't. In fact, this thing takes leaded gas. Good point, but I still think we ought to get to a farm and see what's out there, Tyler said. Maybe they have a diesel truck or a car that will run. Maybe there'll be horses we can ride. There's bound to be a place to sleep away from the from any mobs. Take the Rossmoy and Drive exit up here, and we can check out a couple of farms, I said. Okay, let's do it, Xavier said, turning off the exit, coming to a stop at the top of the off-ramp. After the noise of the gunshots and the wind of the highway, the natural silence of the world unsettled me. Xavier took us down a windy road that more or less paralleled Route 15 on the right side. On the left side were houses dying in the countryside, sitting on one- and two-acre lots. After a couple minutes, I could feel us heading away from the highway as houses slowly became farmhouses among fields of knee-high corn. Xavier turned into a gravel lane, which ended with a stone farmhouse at the end of it, looking as good as any farmhouse we could have found. I was just anxious to stop for the night, get to some place safer than the Oldsmobile. I looked behind through what was left of the shattered rear window and saw a cloud of dust in our wake as we, as we raced down the driveway. I couldn't tell if Xavier was anxious to get inside or if he was having fun kicking up a cloud of dust on the gravel driveway. I turned back around and looked at Tyler, looking straight ahead, moving his shoulders like he was working around their sockets, as if doing shrugs in the gym. But when I slid up on my seat, I saw he was actually rubbing his palms on his thighs again and again. I decided it could only be nerves or a nervous tick. Made another note to watch him that night. We came up to the farmhouse, which probably looked the way it did 50 or even 100 years ago. Gray stone with red trim and white clapboard siding on the end, where an addition had been added at some point. Its roof was black shingles, thick grass surrounded the house, and on one side was a dense row of fir trees, which acted as a windbreak. On the other side were two huge maple trees, which shielded the house from the hot summer rays. About a hundred yards away was a large aluminum building, which I assumed contained the tractors and all other farm equipment. And there, I hoped we'd find another vehicle we could drive, and around back, I was betting we'd find a fuel tank. If we could hole up at the farmhouse, I was hoping to talk to Xavier about what he saw at my mom's office, but I was also dreading it because I figured he would have told me if there was something good I needed to know. Xavier jammed on the brakes, and we slid to a stop, the dust cloud catching it up to us a few seconds later. Let's have a look around first, Xavier said. Bring your crossbow, I told him as I grabbed the shotgun. I opened the door, and Finnicle wasted no time leaping out and heading for a tree, which he sniffed around before moving to a lilac bush. I saw him lift his leg, and I turned and headed toward the house, fully aware how strangely quiet everything was. No distant hum from the highway, no engine sounds from a tractor in the field or car traffic on the country road. I heard no birds chirping either. When a chill came over me and my skin pricked, I was certain we were being watched. I chambered a shell and felt better as the action of the weapon ran out across the yard. Xavier looked back and nodded at me approvingly. Tyler just looked around nervously, his head jerking around like someone kept calling his name. We mounted the wide wooden steps onto the front porch, returned, ran from one side of the house to the other. The screen door was closed, as was the front door behind it. Finn startled me when he shot up the steps in a flash of fur and heavy breathing. It felt good to see him sniffing around the front door, but I was puzzled when he pawed at the screen door and whimpered. What is it, boy? I asked him, stepping close to him. He looked at me and whimpered again, then turned and pawed at the door. Weird, I muttered, scratching his ears. I jerked my head to the door, and Xavier nodded. I would go in and clear the rooms inside the shotgun. It only made sense. 
Zero stepped up and pulled open the screen door, then turned the knob on the front door and pushed. It opened right up, and then creaked like some old iron door in an ancient, forgotten dungeon. Zero raised his eyebrows at me before I stepped in, like, better you than me. Once inside, I had the feeling I wasn't alone. Goosebumps popped, and my skin felt ice cold as I stepped through the living room and into the kitchen. It looked like everything you expect the inside of a farmhouse to be. Round wooden table and chairs in the kitchen. White refrigerator and dishwasher and faded blue linoleum floors with a path worn from the living room to the sink. In the living room was a rocking chair, blue sofa, and two old green velvet wing chairs. I saw a bathroom through the open door, but didn't look inside. Instead, I took a deep breath and headed for the stairs. I was wishing Xavier and Tyler would come in, but I didn't feel like asking them to. But I smiled when I realized I had the perfect way to clear the house. A giant dog that would be glad to run up the steps and either attack the bad guys or look the good guys. For reasons I couldn't explain, he hadn't come inside with me. I clicked my tongue twice, and he was at my side in seconds looking up at me. Happy to have been invited. Let's go, I said quietly as I scratched his side and mounted the steps. As I hoped, he barreled past me and was on the second floor and into the first bedroom before I made it to the upstairs hallway. Finn sniffed as he came out of the first bedroom and shot into the second bedroom. The blood curdling scream rocked me and I froze in the middle of the hallway. But a second later, I heard a giggle followed by a squeal. Then there was a lot of snuffling from Finn, Nicole, and low murmuring from a girl's voice. I stepped toward the room and peered through the door and saw a girl on her knees, silhouetted by the last of the evening sun, her hair radiant. Her arms were up and she was scratching Finn with both hands, and he was enjoying every moment. I felt jealous she was scratching my dog, then I was annoyed she was scratching my dog. I cleared my throat and she turned her head to look at me. Hi, she said, but I couldn't speak, though I meant to. I meant to tell her my name and tell her we had come to rescue her and that she would be alright, but I just stared like an idiot, like I had never seen a girl in my life. I like your dog, she said. I kind of snapped me out of it and looked at Finn, who was now looking at me, as if to say, you're out there and I'm in here. Thanks, he likes you, I replied. You guys scared me, she said, patting Finn on his head as she stood up. I haven't seen anyone in days. Are you alone? No, are you? I asked. She nodded. We're looking for a place to stay tonight. Do you think we can stay here? Depends. On what? I asked. On who wants to stay here, she said, coming out to meet me in the hallway. She had light brown hair and a and pretty face with dark, almost black eyes. She looked me over as she swept the hair from her face, as if weighing her options. She looked over at Finn McCool, back at me, and asked, How many are with you? Two others, I said. Boys? Yeah. Do you trust them? One of them, I said. She bit her lower lip and looked over me like she was giving me a complete body scan. Then her face lightened, and I knew she had come to a decision. So let's go meet them, and I'll tell you which one you trust, she said, descending the steps like she owned the place.